And though it is a very simple declaration of the gospel, it is nevertheless profoundly deep with truth, which is far beyond the full comprehension of our finite minds. And we should never, ever let the familiarity and the simplicity of this verse blind us to the wonder and the grandeur which it reveals. The verse you know is John 3, 16. Let us pray. Most gracious Lord Jesus, eternally beloved of the Father, light of the world, Lord of life everlasting, speak your word to us, we pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our ears, warm our hearts with true love for you, renew our minds with spiritual understanding, and grant us that grace of true and saving faith in you, the Savior of the world, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God, the words of the Son of God, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, one God eternal. Amen. During the four weeks of Advent, we meditated on the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God magnificently set forth in the prologue of the Gospel of John, that is John 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the Christmas story in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as we meditate on the mystery of the incarnation, that is, the enfleshment of the eternal Word, the eternal Son of God, we might ask the question, why? Why did the Word become flesh and dwell among us in this world? Why? Why did the only begotten Son of God, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, 
for us men and for our salvation come down from heaven to be incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and become man. Why? <laughs> you know, one of the little sayings that we Christians have during Christmas time is Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, that's right. It's the celebration of his birth. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Why was Jesus born? Why would the Son of God become the Son of Mary? What, what's behind the Christmas story? What's the origin of it? I mean, where does it, where does it really come from? Well, John 3.16 answers that question. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The why of the incarnation, the why of Christmas, the why of Jesus Himself is the eternal love of God. Jesus is God's gift of love. And John Calvin commented on John 3.16, saying that in this verse, Jesus opens up to us, that is, reveals to us, quote, the source of our salvation. God's unmerited love. A love which flowed freely, a love which indeed overflowed out of God's own eternal being into the world. In the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, Son of Mary. It's very important, perhaps especially important on Christmas Day. Very important for us in the midst of the culture in which we live. It's very important for us not to sentimentalize the love of God. It's important for us not to sentimentalize the love of God. It's really, really important for us not to think of God as being adoringly attached to us because we are so adorable and precious in His sight. As grandparents are adoringly attached to their grandchildren. No, 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 no. That may be what the world thinks. That may be how the culture celebrates Christmas, but it isn't what the Bible says. It, 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 it is not. It is not that there is something so lovable about us that God is, is, is moved. He just can't help himself to give us a gift of love. 
No, John 3.16 tells us just the opposite. God so loved the world, not because of who we are, but despite who we are. In the New Testament, and particularly in the Gospel of John, the word world can refer not only to the creation in general and to humanity in general, but also, especially in the Gospel of John, more pointedly, the word world can and often refers to the world of fallen humanity, the world of human rebellion against God, the world of sinful humanity at war with God, the world of fallen men and women who love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The world under the rule of Satan the world of men and women who must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. The world under the condemnation of a holy and righteous creator. The world of people perishing in their sins under the just judgment of God. That's the world that God so loved. A world that didn't and doesn't deserve His love. You see, the logic of John 3.16 is that God loved the world despite ourselves to such a degree and to such an extent in such a way as to save us from an eternal perishing which we deserve as the consequence of our own rebellion against Him. And that love, that unmerited love, was given to us in the gift of God's only begotten eternal Son who for us sinful men and women came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. But now that raises yet another question. Why? Why was it necessary for the Word to become flesh? Why was it necessary for the Son of God to be born the Son of Mary? Why was it necessary for the Redeemer, the one mediator between God and man, to be both true God and true man in one person? Now we are coming to the real point. The real why of Christmas the real reason that Jesus is the reason for the season. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to us at Bethlehem 
in order to give His only begotten Son for us at Calvary. John 3.16 refers to both Christmas and the cross because those two realities cannot be separated. Christmas, the incarnation of the Son of God, was necessary for Jesus' death on the cross to be sufficient and effective for our salvation, so that through faith in Him we might not perish, but have everlasting life. The incarnation was necessary for our salvation. Here's why. Here's why the Word had to become flesh. Why the Son of God had to be born the Son of Mary. Why our Redeemer had to be both God and man united in one person. First of all, our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Savior had to be truly human in order to be our representative before God. An angel could not be our representative before God because an angel is not one of us. Neither could an animal. Our first representative, Adam, whose name means human, plunged us, the world, into our sin and misery by his disobedience. And therefore, our Redeemer had to be the second Adam, a true human, one of us, in order to be our representative, to, to live on our behalf the life which God requires of us. And as our representative, he had to experience real life with all its trials and temptations and hardships and sorrows and suffering. He had to be one of us. The letter to the Hebrews says that Jesus shared in our flesh and blood and therefore is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because in every respect He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. In order to be an authentic Savior of men and women, the eternal Son of God really had to share in our human experience. So we really had to be one of us, a real representative, not a fake man, but a real man. That was absolutely necessary for our salvation. And as a real man, he had to uh, obey the law of God perfectly in order to be able to pay the penalty for the sins of the people he represented. Now, you know, you cannot atone for the sins that you have committed. Neither can I. You cannot compensate. You can't make up for the sins you have committed because any attempt to do so will be inevitably tainted and corrupted by sin. And that's true of me. It's true of us all. We, we, just can't, we just can't get out of this mess. 
If atonement for sin were going to be made, it would have to be made by someone who is qualified to do so. A perfectly righteous man. And there was and is only one man perfectly qualified. But what was required in order for that penalty to be paid in full? The wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So do you see that it was absolutely necessary for our Redeemer to be truly human, yet without sin, to partake of our flesh and blood in order to be able to pay the penalty for human sin, death under the wrath of God, to satisfy the justice of God. So it was necessary for our Redeemer to be human, like us in every respect except sin, in order to be able to die in our place as our representative, bearing the punishment and paying the penalty for all our sins. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to us at Bethlehem in order to give His only begotten Son for us on Calvary that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and I want you to see, I want you to see that the love with which God so loved the world was His completely unmerited love. A love with which and through which of His own to say it this way, of his own free will, his own voluntary outpouring of himself, an unmerited love with which, through which, God gave his only son, listen, to satisfy his own justice against sin by pouring out his wrath on a righteous representative man so that Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But, if Jesus had been only a perfectly sinless, righteous man, that would not have been enough to save us from our sins. His human nature, though perfect in and of itself, would not have been able to bear the infinite wrath of God and endure it in a way that could avert it from us. Even a perfectly sinless human nature could not withstand, could not absorb, could not propitiate the infinite wrath of God. But because His divine nature was united to His human nature, He was able to bear 
and fully absorb the infinite wrath of God. The divine nature upheld His human nature and made it sufficient to propitiate the infinite wrath of God. And because His divine nature was united to His human nature, His human death had an even more powerful efficacy as a sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God and to make atonement for our sins as He offered up Himself by the Spirit as the substitutionary sacrifice of atonement. Also, His human nature in and of itself would not have been able to overcome the power of death. And a dead Savior saves no one. Only God has the power to overcome death. But God cannot die. And so God, who cannot die, became a man who could and did die. And because His divine nature was united to His human nature, that man, who could and did die, was also God, who by His own infinite power could overcome death. And He did. So that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the perfection of salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the perfection of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. The Word made flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Mary. Do you believe in Him? This is the security and glory of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the God-man, the man who could die the God who could overcome death. Do you believe in Him? In Christ and in Christ alone, we have a perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for all our sins. And we have a righteousness that is not our own, but the righteousness of a righteous representative who lived for us and died for us. And we have everlasting life through a divine Savior who conquered death for us and is even now in heaven interceding for us and holding us securely in His own nail-scarred, glorified human hands. This is the perfection of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Because of the unmerited love of God. So dearly beloved on this Christmas day, let us joyfully and glad, gladly, cheerfully humble ourselves before, before the Lord with thanksgiving and praise and adoration and faith and repentance and devotion and rejoicing and say, yes, Lord, 
I believe in you, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, for my salvation. And let us say it with all our hearts as a holy profession of personal faith, love, and loyalty. And with empty, open, happy hands, let us receive God's gift of love freely offered to us, Jesus Christ, God himself with us and for us. And if you've never truly come to that point, the end of yourself and the ultimate surrender of yourself to the Lord Jesus, truly receiving his unmerited love and undeserved mercy because you know it's your only hope, forsaking yourself and all things in this world to follow him in faith, what better day than Christmas Day to receive the gift of God's love, Jesus the Son of God, the Son of Mary, that you might not perish, but have everlasting life. Merry Christmas. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, and in his name we pray that your Holy Spirit will work your word of life in the depths of our hearts and souls so that we might live upon the earth as people who will never die through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history, throughout the world, as we say together the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe?